this has made me a millionaire, which I'm really grateful for. Uh, it's, it's crazy to think you can earn money online by just talking and explaining stuff. That was the voice of Stefan Marek, my new guest. Welcome to another episode of the Darius Mora Show, where I interview top performers from around the world, try to figure out their beliefs, mental frameworks, and generally try to understand how do they think. In this episode, I have a conversation with my good friend Stefan Marek. We both live here in Lisbon, Portugal, and decided to record this podcast episode over a couple of glasses of very good wine. Stefan has achieved the incredible success of becoming one of the top 10 highest earning Udemy instructors in the world with more than 600,000 paying students, which is absolutely astonishing because he's not even 30 years old yet. Apart from being one of the smartest guys I know, he's also a lot of fun to hang out with. He could be a poster boy for the work hard, play hard slogan. I've never seen someone work so hard he won't leave his home for days, publish a massive course, and the next day be the life of a party. If you want to hear more interviews from top performers like Stefan, make sure to subscribe to this podcast or go to my website, DariusMora.com, D-A-R-I-U-S-M-O-R-A.com. Subscribe to the mailing list and I'll send you an email when a new episode comes out. I hope you'll enjoy listening to this as much as we enjoyed recording it. Ciao. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Hey, man. I'm so happy to be here. This has been the one of the podcasts that I've been, I think, waiting for the longest. I think ever since, since we met about a year ago, we've been talking about it. So I'm so happy that you managed to get on. Yeah, this podcast has been evolving from Dairy Darius to now the <laughs> Darius Mora show. And, you know, we felt like pulling the trigger. So I'm really happy to talk to you. I think how we met is also quite interesting. You know, like fortunate, one would say. Um, so super happy to be talking with you. You're one of my best friends in Lisbon. So definitely it's going to be a good one. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. We were working on the same place and uh, I have posted on the, the common Slack if anybody has an experience with Udemy courses because I have just published a course and I didn't know that one of the masters of Udemy is sitting right next door. That's not the true story. <laughs> I was the one who said I just joined the, the, the co-working <laughs> space and I'm a Udemy instructor. And you're like, oh, I just have a Udemy course. Let's get lunch and eat advice. And, and it was an amazing lunch uh, because um, you, amongst all the people who asked for help from me, have actually published a course on Udemy already. And you were really past that stage of publishing a course and asking you know, advice about how do I make my course better? How do I market it? How do I grow? What's the trajectory on Udemy? And that was a really interesting conversation versus just uh, how do I make a course online and how do I get started? So mm -hmm. I really appreciate that. And that set you apart from the get-go and <laughs> it's the, the beginning of a long friendship. A yeah. year. So, I mean, we're going to be all over the place with this podcast. I'm super excited. I have so many questions to, to dive deep into. And we'll talk about Udemy and, and your courses and the incredible figures of, you know, 600,000 paying students. They're just mind-blowing with a one-man army that, that you are. Um, but I want to sort of kick off and, and, and first question, just to set the stage, we just had some really good um, quality beers over here from, from Lisbon <laughs> and you poured us a glass of wine. What are we drinking right now? Uh, we're drinking a 1995 uh, Quinta do Poço Barraida, something like this in Portugal. It's like a really old wine. Um, it's actually really affordable, but it's delicious. The one problem with this one is that every time you try to open the bottle because the cork is so old, it breaks. <laughs> so you'll get like cork, cork bits in your wine, but it doesn't change it to be delicious. I mean, what do you think about this wine? 
It's good. I like it. I have to say, I'm a beer person, so I don't think I can appreciate wine as much as you can, but I'll do my best. I'll pretend. Yeah, I'm French, so you know. <laughs> but you can, you can definitely drink this for long hours and you would be fine. So first, okay, here we go. So you're French and we have a lot of other French friends in common, but all, very few can shake off the accent. Uh, how come? Because I, I couldn't tell uh, that you're French from the get-go. So tell me, uh, how come? There we go with the strong question. <laughs> <laughs> we have there's a story behind it. Um, okay, so the full story is, I was in my 20s, and I was in France studying in an engineering school, and all I wanted to do was to move to the U.S. to get like a nice degree and get accepted to the big schools and just like you know have a good thing. And so. There was this test I had to pass called the TOEFL or TOEIC. No, TOEFL, I think it was TOEFL, called. I remember. Um, and you had to score 100 out of 120 to go to the US. And I scored 100, just exactly the mark. And I, I was really, really, really not strong in languages and really, really not strong in English. And I applied to so many schools. I applied to Stanford, I applied to um, Berkeley. I applied to like the, the best ones. Um, and they all got me, they all said no to me except Cornell University. Uh, which I didn't know Cornell, but it's the Ivy League school and it was nice. So short story, a uh, long story short, I arrived at Cornell University. I can't speak a word of English. <laughs> and in my master's degree, there are a bunch of Americans and Canadians. There was a bunch of Indian people and a bunch of Chinese people. It was an engineering master's, right? And very quickly, I was like, okay, and if I had to choose an accent amongst all, all these, I would rather go with the American accent, right? So I started hanging out with uh, American people and there were no other European people in my masters at all right no other so they would not slow down for me they would not be you know helping me they would make fun of me anytime i would say a word the wrong way like banana and banana like <laughs> yeah. this kind of things right and and i i shit you know within maybe two months i was bilingual with the accent like much a much better accent than what i have right now like i think i lost it a lot um but it was fully american fully uh, speaking with the accent, um, I remember this one time we were driving on the road and and around Cornell. Cornell is New York, uh, is um, upstate New York, so far away from New York City, like maybe five hours, six hours driving, uh, and it's mostly cold. But you see deers, and and most importantly, you see squirrels. And still to this day, I'm I'm <laughs> like this is a very difficult word to me, like. A squirrel, squirrel, like was, I used to say in French, right? A squirrel, squirrel. And they would make fun of me. They're like, what is it, Stefan? I'm like, this is a squirrel. I'm like, this is a squirrel, a squirrel. And it used to make me go crazy. Anyway, this one day we were driving down the road and my friend John is driving and and I'm like, oh, oh, guys, there's a giant rat on the street. And it was like a squirrel. <laughs> I was like, I was just tired of it. Anyway, I have a love story with squirrels. But no, I think I've said fine. But um, the, the English came this way. It was just thanks to my friends, listening to TV, hanging out with them, um, then making no efforts whatsoever to slow down. And I had just to catch up. And here I am speaking English. And I'm super grateful for this because this English base um, is allowing me to be understandable and be able to talk to everyone around the world with a legible accent, uh, which is something that is the baseline for everything I do nowadays. Yeah, you have a very like neutral accent. I mean, I can hear that it's foreign, but it's pretty sort of neutral. And in your course, and you, I mean, you don't show your face, right? It's just your voice. Yeah. So I mean, that that that's interesting that now your voice is reaching you know hundreds of thousands of people. That's how you make your living. That's yeah, fascinating. Exactly, and it's it's um it's an Americanized voice. I would like to say, but it has a several components to it. So I was in America for four years, um, and then I was in Australia for three years. So there's 
some bits of Australian accent <laughs> in my, especially if I do hang out with Aussies a little bit, I would start speaking with like a much more Aussie accent than I am right now. Um, and, and, and I think the, you know, as a foreigner, I try to make it as legible as possible because I do speak with my voice. I have to make intonations. I have to speak in the microphone all the time and it works. Somehow it works. Uh, so I'm fairly happy with what I have in terms of languages. <laughs> That's awesome. It's incredible that you could pick up a language so quickly. And I think that might be, you know, I, I, I uh, interviewed a couple of our common friends here in Lisbon and sort of tried to poke out a good question to ask you. And most of them said that they've noticed that you have an incredible ability to focus. And I'm sure that's what helped you to, to learn languages. Do you, do you attribute, and I've seen that, you know, with you as well, like if you set your, your mind on a task, you can just block out everything else and go all in. How did you, did you learn this? Did you, were you born this way? How did you pick up this intense focus? Ah, it's difficult. It's a really difficult question. Um, first, like the first part to how I learn languages, like, let's be clear. I am crap. I was <laughs> crap at languages in school. Like I was the worst students ever. Um, I wish I had recordings of me back then, but really, really, I was bad. Um, the reason I would learn English was because of survival. I was alone, no other French person, no other European person in my master's. And I had to survive. I had to make friends. I had to have social interactions. So I had to learn English. And I think this showed me that the body in a state of stress, in a state of urgency does adapt, does adapt, but you need to be in that stress level. And so for a few months, I committed to not speak French at all. Like I had very little communication with my parents and my family and so on, just because I wanted to keep it all English. And that's how I learned. Nowadays for Portuguese, again, like it's just a matter of being in the country and making efforts to always try to speak Portuguese to the Uber driver, to the person you meet on the street, to the, to the sellers, to the restaurants. And you just pick it up this way. Obviously there are lessons to help you out. And, but you have to be all in. So for languages, people say oh, you're good with languages. Like I'm good with languages. Once I am in the country that speaks with language, as right. in I'm good to listen to the things and be fully involved, which I think goes to your point of focusing. And so, I don't know how I picked up, how I picked this up, right? But for me, it's just a matter, I call it of activation and motivation, which is once something activates me, when there's a goal, when there's a challenge, when there's something to achieve, I feel extremely motivated. And, you know, I'll be personally accountable to many people for this goal. And I will restlessly pursue that goal until I reach it. So this is about learning a language. It's about doing something. This is about achieving something. And so... I guess I'm able once I'm really into something to to dedicate all my energy to it. And this applies to languages, but obviously many other things that we'll talk about, I guess, uh, today. Yeah, I mean, that must have started with, because I've seen you, for example, you know, just a few months ago, you decided to make a new course and I wouldn't see you for whatever, a week or two weeks. You just lock the door, go in, record a ridiculously long course and you know it's whatever your courses are how long are your courses yeah. okay so background i do online courses and i teach about <laughs> aws and it and kafka uh, on udemy which is an online marketplace for courses and my first course was an hour and a half my second course was three hours nowadays um i do have courses that are over 30 hours long wow. uh, which is crazy it's a lot of talking it's a lot of ground to cover and yeah it's a lot of time to spend on this. And a 30-hour course takes how much how much time to record? I like to give the ratio 1 to 8 and 1 to 10 to build the content, build this, research the content, build the slides, 
build the exercises, build the flow of the course, then finally go ahead and recording it. Thank God the recording part is actually easy. It's the one I like the most. Um, and so then, a 30 hour course can take you 300 hours. Yeah, of continued work. To, to actually launch. Probably, probably, yeah. Uh, but I've never really measured it because I think measuring this type of work would be stressful in terms of performance. I just go with it and I just keep on working until I'm done. But like this is my ballpark number for how, how long it takes me to build a course. Um, but this is like, I've been super hyper and intense and, and dedicated since I was young. Like um, I was playing um, sports and I was really into it and not good, but really into it. I was um, doing chess and origami, which is like super nerdy stuff. Uh, but still I was like, you know, I, I went on French TV for origami <laughs> and, oh, really? and I, yeah so i don't know this story many people don't know Wait, what the, recordings, the recordings are buried somewhere i don't know where I don't we're know, gonna pull this out of the archive my parents basement or something <laughs> uh, you know i went twice on french tv for origami into like kids show for weird and fun kids that do origami <laughs> stuff like this um yeah man like um chess i was doing chess competitions and i reached a pretty good level uh, but i was too free-spirited to go at the extreme high level but yeah um, everything I've done, I've done quite intensely. As long as I'm motivated about something, then I'll do it 100% or even more. If I'm not motivated about something, it'll be a struggle. Like I remember my history classes, my French classes, my language classes. I was not very motivated. It was, it was a course and I was just not into it. So it's a really, a, a, it's, I think it's sort of a binary situation with me. It's either all in or all out. So when you do decide to go all in or like in the process of deciding to go all in what's what's the self-talk like what is in your mind how do you sort of decide and separate and what do you tell yourself in i think terms of motivation i think it's like i manipulate myself as in as long as i don't do this stuff i'll be stressed and unhappy and 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 feeling like i have to do something so it's um so it's like oh you'll do this course set a target for this course and 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 just go and relentlessly do it until you're done and because if you're not done, then you're not uh, accountable for your own goals and your own stuff. And then make it as public as possible as well to get other people to be accountable for your stuff. Again, it's self-manipulation. No one uh, asks other people to be accountable for me except myself. But by adding all these accountability, um, I do get to drive and, and do stuff. And I've been really, really rigorous with it without overkilling myself, but just really rigorous. Uh, and I'm able to just switch full on to doing this one little thing um, that will take you know most of my time. But I, I it's it's tough to describe. But some people see it and it's like you, I, I I'm not a good multitasker. Like I can't do two things at once. Uh, when I cook, I can't talk. When I talk, I can't cook. Uh, this kind of stuff. And so when I'm on working on the course, my mind is really set to it, and, and everything else is is distraction. Um, I wish I had a better answer or like a life hack. But for me, it's if you really believe in something, if you're really into something and, and you want to, to achieve that goal, then set your mind to it and, and, and do it. Be it that center thing of your, of your life and, and do it and, and you'll be doing it. Uh, but, but the important thing is you need small wins. Like if it keeps on dragging and keeps on dragging on and on, it's not good. You need a framework. Like if you're doing something, for example, if you're launching a course, right? Uh, first milestone is outing out the curriculum, which is what do I do in terms of course structure? What do I want to talk about? Lessons, etc. That's a milestone. Once you're done with it, you're happy. Like, right. Um, then 
ironing out um, the sections and the content and the slides. Again, an achievable, um, palpable milestone. And then finally, the recording. But if you're doing a course without really knowing where you're going and as you go along, you add more slides, add more recordings, add more stuff, then you feel lost and you don't feel like you're moving forward because every time you move forward, there are two milestones adding up, right? So when I do work, it's pretty well defined in terms of what order of things I will do to make it successful and to make it um, achievable. I think it's the same when you launch a startup. Be clear about what your MVP is, work relentlessly towards that MVP and achieve that milestone and then move on. But if you keep on adding stuff, then it keeps on dragging and then you lose focus and then you lose motivation and then you, you lose time. Yeah. So let's go to the beginning of, of you starting with, with Udemy courses. Cause you haven't, it's not like you've been doing it for 10 years. No. So when, what, when did you get started and why? Yeah. Okay. So Udemy is, is a marketplace for online courses and where you teach people and anyone can post a course, anyone can record a video and the marketplace rates you. And if you get good ratings, then the Udemy machine will push your course forward and so on. Just to give some background for the people who don't know. So, so <laughs> it's really funny. So, um, the day I, uh, okay. So I was in Australia and I was working a data analytics job at Ernst and Young EY. And, uh, I was bringing board three years working at the same job and had to move between New York and Australia, Sydney. And I wanted to get a switch, a career switch. So I talked to this recruiter and he said, we have something for you. It's a consultant in software development, but everyone's pretty old. Everyone is pretty good and you're really young, but somehow your profile is interesting to us. You should have a chat with the CEO, right? So I had a chat with the CEO and I said, I know nothing about software development. Like I've done software development of my life, but not as, as a professional thing. And I was not, you know, through my job doing software development. And I thought I was actually at the time that it was quite nerdy to do software development. Uh, <laughs> wrongly so. People who do software development are cool. Um, <laughs> and anyways, I talked to the CEO and I said, you know what? Like I'm a consultant. I can talk to clients and the software development stuff I can get easily. He said, okay, we have the technical interview in two weeks. Picked up a book, passed the software interview. Uh, it was a Scala interview uh, for those who know. And I passed it with flying colors and I was good to go. First day on the job, they were like, learn Kafka, learn AWS, learn programming. And it was like so many good people around me with tens or 15 years of experience and me who had zero experience. So they redirected me to Udemy to learn some of that stuff, right? And I took a Scala course, I took a AWS course, I took a Kafka course. And so the Scala course was okay, the AWS course was great, um, and the Kafka course was okay. And so I was learning through Udemy, right? But as I was applying what I was learning online in my job, I realized that some of the stuff that I was learning, that I learned, uh, especially in the Kafka space, uh, Kafka is a technology, not the author, um, the <laughs> Kafka, in the Kafka space um, was completely wrong. And I said, fuck man, like this is wrong. And this is the highest rated course on Udemy. You know, I can probably do something with this. And I'm, I've always been entrepreneurial. We can talk about this later on, but like, I've always been entrepreneurial. So I said, you know what? I can probably do something better. So as I was getting more and more confident in my job and really ramping up, I said, you know what? I'm going to make a course on Udemy. And my first course was not Kafka, it was NiFi, it's not the technology. And it was drag and drop, a one hour and a half course, just to try it out. And then I published a course on Udemy, it did great. Um, and then the second course was Kafka and it did even better. So, um, and this is how it started. Give us a sort of, what is a great when you first publish the course? What does that mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so 
NiFi um, was a really just fun thing that I just knew from my past jobs, and there was no, there were no courses on it on Udemy, and I said, you know what, no courses, I'll make it my own. Maybe people will buy it. So I made my course. It was in one hour and a half. It's still the same as of today. Like if you want to see my very first course, just go buy the NiFi course. It's it's ten bucks, and it's my first course, and I'm very ashamed of it, but it has good ratings anyway. So I build a course. It takes me like two or three weeks. I publish it online, and um, it does, I remember my first sale, I was jumping through the roof, like so happy. It was like, fuck, someone just paid for this. Okay, cool. <laughs> awesome. Um, and, and it did great as in the first month and I published it mid February, 2017, it brought in about 200 us dollars. Oh, it's really good for a first time. For course, first time. And I was like, wow. yeah, wow. Like someone's paying me for this and I just made 200 bucks, which was amazing at the time. And that was really happy. And then the next month I said, okay, I'm going to do the Kafka course now. And you know, there's more competition, but you know, not very good ratings. So I made my Kafka course and that one month, so it was in March, 2017, I made $2,000. So wow. 10 times the first month. <laughs> and I was like, holy crap, there's a market for what people, you know, I, people like the way I speak, people like the way I teach. Cool. There's a market for it. And then, and then that was a tip for me. That was like, okay, there's a real thing to do with Udemy. There's a real thing to do by teaching technology, especially the ones that are not taught really well or they're pretty niche. So we'll keep on pursuing this. Uh, the rest is history. Um, <laughs> but this is how I got started. And, 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 and the other thing is, you know, how did I get the time to do this? My, my girlfriend, um, my girlfriend um, at the time was in London and I was living in Sydney, Australia. <laughs> so we're really far apart. And I really had nothing to do at night, like really, really nothing. And... You know, I was like, okay, sure. Like I'll work my day job, but I'll also work a night job and see how this goes. Like, especially if it makes me some money and I can spend it on food and just have a good time with my girlfriend. So this is how I get started really. Wow. It's, it's crazy. And you've grown now to, you know, 600,000 students. That's just, yeah, man. Like when you consider 200, uh, yeah, it's, it's just, numbers are crazy. <laughs> the growth <laughs> is, the growth is, is exponential. Um, but yeah, like you never, it was, it was the beginning. And, and honestly, in the Udemy world, I was late, Re like two or three years late right. in the game. And um, now you're one of the, you're one of the top 10 instructors on Udemy globally, which is mind blowing. Yeah. And we're not going to go into the details of the numbers, but the revenue is pretty strong. Yeah. Um, yeah. In, in, f in almost four years, I've grown to be, um, you know, top 10, at least of, uh, of earning instructors. Um, and growing really, really fast. Um, very, very fortunate to have this. You know, uh, this has made me a millionaire, which I'm really grateful for. Uh, it's, it's crazy to think you can earn money online by just talking and it's, explaining it's, stuff. It's wild that, like, I know companies with, you know, 10, 20 employees that make similar revenue, Yeah, which is just ridiculous. And you have, you have no real, I mean, you have a couple of helpers, but what is your, you don't really have a team, but what does your setup look like? Okay, so... On the course creation side, there are two components. There are the main courses um, that I do myself because I do care. Uh, and I care about every course, but you know, I want to care <laughs> about the main courses. And there are some specialty courses or side courses that I do with other people who are highly specialized but need reach and that I trust. And so I build these like courses, like I help them build a curriculum, I help them make content, but they record it, they talk about it, they think it through. Uh, and they're collaboration courses. And so to date, I have 37 courses, uh, a lot. And so 
building a course is myself or myself with an instructor. Once it's online, the marketing of the course is again myself. I have to write the email, you know, talk to my existing student base. Hey, there's this new course, why it should be interesting to you and how it will help you develop your career and so on. And then the course is online and then I am super fortunate uh, to have a team of teacher assistants, so TAs, uh, and they're people that I've known as my previous students mostly, uh, I think all of them actually, uh, who've taken my courses and now want to assist in the course uh, by assisting other students and answering their questions. Uh, it's a team of uh, five or six people now, I think. Uh, so I, if you're listening, um, obviously Sushant, Mayank, Alok, um, Ivan, Igor, um, and I'm probably forgetting someone else, Abhishek, obviously. Um, thank you so much for helping me. Uh, and and Rondier, obviously in the past, like um, just everyone's been helping me. So they, they, they assist students, they answer student questions every day. They get stronger at what they, at what they know, obviously, because they address tricky questions, but they help me scale. Because without them, I would have to spend days answering student questions. And I get a thousand questions a month <laughs> on all my courses. It is wild. The type of reach you can have with, with such a lean operation, it's, it's mind-blowing. It's insane. It's insane. And, and you have to remember that it's the game of partnering, right? I could be publishing on my own platform, but then I would have to do all the marketing, all the outreach, all, all the ads spend. But I'm partnering with Udemy. And Udemy is a marketing machine. There are like 500, maybe 1,000 people working at Udemy on marketing, on student support, on the platform, on features. And so I'm just a content creator in all this. And Udemy gets its fair share of earnings through this. And I'm, and I'm grateful for it because everything they earn is put back into the machine for them to grow and for me to grow. So it's amazing. So, you know, I've been worrying about student support and content, but the marketing, obviously I do some of my own, but the marketing and uh, finding new students to, who may want to learn with me is done through them. And so... I look like a small operation, but thanks to a marketplace, I'm a big operation. Right. And that's really, people say, oh, marketplaces are bad. They get so much revenue out of you. Um, I do think that it's okay. It's totally okay to be linked to a marketplace because they also bring you people that you've never seen before. They made me famous. They made me rich, right? Like, it's crazy. Like, I, I came from zero. Zero YouTube subscribers, zero Instagram followers, zero LinkedIn people, zero everything. And Udemy is how I grew today. So um, super grateful and yeah, I'm a lean operation. Uh, I also got um, Roseanne, who's helping me uh, as a as a virtual assistant um, in, out of Philippines, which is am she's amazing. She's helping so many people as well uh, online. So really grateful for this yeah lean operation. And, and you must have been tempted so many times to do like build your own sort of you know build course on your own platform and all these there's all these shiny objects around. How did you? I mean, you always stuck to you to me. Yeah. Um, you know, like I'm emotionally attached to Udemy because because once you do, uh, after a year and a half, I get to meet the Udemy team. Uh, there was a, there's a Udemy Live conference that used to happen before COVID and we used to meet with other instructors and share. And the people who work there are really well-intended. Like they work, they, they could work at Google, they could work at other companies, but they chose to work at a company that brings education to the masses for cheap. And so you're connected to the mission you're connected to, come to the company, you see where your earnings are going, you see the kind of people you're helping. And, and, and you know what, like, sure, there are other platforms and sure, you can, I could go on my own and do my own thing. And many people do, but like, somehow I really like the agreement we have. I really like the arrangement. I don't mind if they take between 50 and 75% of my income 
you know because that's the that's the rules of the game like it's it's a win-win situation and 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 if i think even the slightest at you should build your own platform which so many people told me to do you should build your own platform man like all the struggle uh handling the traffic uh, getting the ad spend. How do I reach new students? How do I make sure that I still um, can compete? How do I make sure I, I'm compliant with taxes and everything? Like just so many questions which really are an annoyance to me versus just create the content, make people happy, make Udemy happy, grow with Udemy. Like if Udemy tomorrow grows twice because they're a startup, they're growing and they're getting more and more students and more and more reach, you know what? Because I'm so linked to the top, Udemy, I'm growing twice as much. Right. And so I would never give that up. I would never give that up. It's a collaboration. And in life, you got to be willing to let go of some of your ownership, let go of let go of some of your revenue to grow with someone who's fully invested into making you grow. So going alone is really out of the question. It's a whole different ballgame. Yeah, it, it, it is. It is. It is. And, and to have one course outside of Udemy. Let me tell you, <laughs> I've tried it. It's, 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 very, it's very difficult and, and it's a different game. It's, and it's not something I enjoy doing. It's true. Yeah. But I mean, there's, there's something to be said about like, you're really top 10 on Udemy and, and it's sort of, um, uh, there, if, there's a very big difference between being top 10 and sort of top 100 where the, the returns really go down very fast. And if somebody was coming on to Udemy right now, what would be your like if yeah, somebody yeah, yeah. decided like I have an idea yeah, I yeah. might have a course and I, you know I so yeah. I, I myself published a couple of courses there and I started the same way like I went on and I took an app marketing course and it was absolute trash I'm like this is the number one course and it's horrible and I like it's my duty to make a better course because it's literally like telling the wrong advice to people yeah yeah, yeah. so that's why I started I, yeah, I, yeah. I made a course so if somebody let's say they watched the course in their field it was not very good they wanted to get started on Udemy what would you tell them? Yeah. First of all, you're not going to make millions right away. Yeah. You know, like, like <laughs> it's not a get, get rich scheme. Get expectations yeah. right. It's not get rich quick. And it's really the time you invest is the time you get out. Um, then all the big topics are already uh, taken. Like all the big topics are already taken. Like if you want to make, if you're good at, if you're good at Java programming, you're good at Excel, you're good at Python, you're good at whatever yoga. Someone has already done that. Like, be sure of it. You're not the first one to think about it. The way to succeed on Udemy today and the way I succeeded on Udemy four years ago was by going niche. Find that thing that is so specialized that you're good at and teach that. You know, maybe you do yoga. Maybe you do yoga for elderly people. Maybe you do yoga for pregnant women. Maybe you do yoga for men. You know, like what is your niche? What is your thing? And so by going niche, you will find your audience. Like, I look at you right there. It's like, if I were to send you a sweater, you'd be like, no, I don't need a sweater. You know, everyone wants a sweater. But if I was selling a sweater that was meant for entrepreneurs who were working long hours and love to have cool hats and love to do <laughs> podcasts, and you saw that ad, you were like, whoa, that sweater is for me, right? right? So it's all about targeting. It's all about putting the right message. And it's all about being very, very specific. The second advice is get a good microphone. Because <laughs> when people listen to you, they have to listen to you with a good audio quality, 100%. And, so, uh, and, and we're yeah. going to dive into the details as well, like your actual recording setup so people can yeah, yeah, yeah. figure that out. Yeah. And, and, then, and then lastly, um, 
um, I lost it, but... Um, Sorry, I interrupted you. No, that's okay. <laughs> uh, find the right topic, get the good... And just fucking do it. Just fucking do it. Don't ask yourself so many questions. You know, it's, it's a new economy. I think the, t the term has been coined recently. It's permissionless economy. And when you're a YouTuber, when you're a Udemy publisher, when you write eBooks, whatever, it's permissionless. Don't ask for someone's permission. Just fucking do it. And then see what happens. Get feedback from people. People will tell you how to improve. And this is how I wasn't perfect from day one and I'm still not perfect at year four. But without doing it, without putting it out there, you'll never know. So don't be a perfectionist. Be a doer. Get it out and you'll be done. I really like the concept of permissionless economy. The, 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 sort of the, the saying was that back in the day, you needed either labor or capital to scale your sort of efforts. And now you need either code or media. And the way you're doing it is, is, is through media. And how old are you right now? I'm about to turn 29. So you're not 30 yet with this ridiculous reach. And it's all thanks to media, permissionless. Yeah. That and is. and, and, it, and you, you think about it, it. It's a crazy world. The internet has allowed so many things to happen. And you can be one person and get so much reach. Like, you know, check out my story. Um, like, <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's, it's crazy. Uh, you don't need someone's permissions. You don't necessarily need investments. All you need is to get started. And your growth will be relative to how much effort you put in and how much engagement you get. Um, but but the reward is crazy. And it's a long-term game. You know, it's four, I'm four years in. I worked countless hours. Uh, but still, the very first days were nice. Um, and, 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 and it's crazy. People still want permission. And I get it. Like, it's it's comforting to get approval. It's comforting to ask for advice. But... In this economy where you can code, do media, write, all that kind of stuff, just do it and see what happens. You know, what's the worst that can happen? Right. What's the worst? I want to shift gears a little bit because you've been extremely focused on your courses. It, when I met you the first time, you were just all, you know, you'd say, I have a new course to record, go to your apartment, lock the door. You would just, you know, not speak for two weeks. Oh, come on, you make me look bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, in a good way. Like, no, you, no, no. you know, you'd publish an amazing course and you would get ridiculous traction and, and, and you would do really well. And then you would be social. And then recently you have shifted that focus yeah. into, what would you call it? Enjoying your life? Yeah. Learning to sort of... Yeah, yeah. Like, there was a massive shift in your life since I met you to what we're now. So, do you yeah. want to sort of talk about what happened and, yeah. and, and what is it now? Yeah. So, this is this is very personal. And, and this is where things may get, like, uh, like I hate what this guy's saying, like, such an ass. Uh, <laughs> but, but like, it's it's really weird. I think so it's, like, it's, I think it's this is the more important conversation to for, have. For sure. I think more and more people will find themselves in this position. For sure. Anyways, for let, sure. Let's get into it. It's, it's a journey and it's a weird one. So, I mean... Let's be honest, like everyone wants to get rich, like, and with the star, but everyone wants to get rich. And so was I. And I didn't start the Udemy stuff because I want to get rich. It's just, it was out of passion. And I think any of your business venture should be passion. And then passion, if it's really well acted upon, will end up into success and wealth. But anyway, when you do reach that wealth, when you are um, wealthy and, and learn other money, uh, earn other money, you, you realize you haven't really changed. Like I'm still a simple guy. Like I'm still um, doing simple things like have things I enjoy in life and I enjoy even more, maybe food and I will spend more on food. But anyway, you remain who you are. You don't become a rich asshole by becoming rich, right? Um, and so when you reach that stage of grateful, like to earn so much money every year, you ask yourself the question, is that worth 
myself putting is it worth putting myself into a state where i need to like cram out another three two months of work to invest and to build and and stress myself and record and be focused and and sure i'll earn an extra few thousands more a month and this is where you hate me like uh, of course everyone wants a few thousand but like when you reach a certain stage you don't want that you're you're happy what you have right this is enough for you then you're like what am i doing this for again you know, and, and what's what's my purpose? What's my goal? What's my concession? And so that was the shift where um, one of my ex-girlfriends, it's all about girlfriends, uh, one of my <laughs> ex-girlfriends uh, said, you're not paying attention to me. You're too focused on your work. You're not, you're not living life. And I said, yeah, you're right. Like it really made me realize through tumultuous fights, like, yeah, you're right. And I said, okay, take a step back. Like, why are you doing another course? And, and you reach that point where the answer is not to make more because you don't need more, um, but just because you don't know anything else and you want to keep busy, you want to keep on working for the sake of working. You're, you're past that, that growth phase. You're past that passion phase. You're in the, I want to make another course because that's just the only thing I know. And, and, and when you realize that, and I read many books and I've done lots of introspection, you're like, okay, wow wait, what's my life looking like? Do I do this for another 30 years? Do I keep on cramming for another 30 years? Do I keep on being not necessarily happy for another 30 years? Like, you know, I'm happy, but like, you know, or do I step back and do I try to enjoy what I've achieved? Which is like, hey, you know, like success is not a, a zero to one thing. It's continuous, right? But at some point you got to draw the line and say, this is now the time for me to enjoy. And this is as of... June that I came to this relation, June 2 and 20 of this relation, um, I was doing some projects, ongoing projects, so I had to finish them. So as of late July, I was done with them. But since 1st of August, I've really, you know, stepped out of online courses for now, uh, stepped out of many of my duties and try to think about how do I enjoy everything I built? How do I enjoy the wealth I've created? How do I enjoy life? What is happiness? And, and it's so weird that it takes so much effort to realize that money is not everything in life and that actually happiness is next and health is also next. And, and it's crazy, but now these are the things I focus on. These are the things that matter to me. And, and, and this is where my life is going. And sure, I will get back to working. I know how to work. I know how to make money. I know how to create companies. I know how to do all these things. I have so many ideas. But again, what is your goal? Like you really ask yourself these core questions and it's, and it's stupid, but like if you're about to build wealth, please go all in, like do worry about these things right now. But what comes next is what makes you happy. Like what makes you happy? And, and these are like interesting questions and unexpected questions that, that came up for me. And, and now these are the questions I'm tackling with and, and it's crazy, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's the way things are and money solves your money problems 100% and I'm having a tremendous life. I'm super happy um, about the money problems, but like, again, purpose, happiness, meaning of life, all these kind of things are the questions I'm dealing with right now. And I made so much progress toward those, which, you know, make me, I think, a joyous person and a very, <laughs> a very interesting person to be around with today. Yeah, I mean, like, we all know that, you know, money doesn't make you happy. We all heard these things. But when you don't have the money, everybody's sort of working towards it. And, you you know, and to be honest, like, if you don't have any, then yes, there's some obvious uh, things you can... You, gain from having more income and sort of enjoying the, the full life but once you reach a certain and a stage and I, and I think it's very common for all 
type A personalities. Like what you know is hustle and busy and work and execution. And we all, I mean, you and me and all of our friends, it's very easy for us to put on the headphones, open a computer and just, you know, fucking crank away 14 hours a day. That's not the problem to work a lot. Like we know how to do that. The problem is like once you, you've done enough of that, a lot of times the challenge becomes, okay, am I actually happy? And then sort of, it, it sounds ridiculous, but like realizing what makes me happy and how do I go about it? So if you don't mind, like, do you mind, you know, sharing some of the things for you that you have worked on specifically for yourself yeah, yeah, yeah. that have made you sort of enjoy the day-to-day most? Like you've set yeah, up an yeah. incredible business and it's working well. Yeah. And you realize you need to stop trying to hustle every day. So yeah. what's next? What's the next, what yeah. next step for you? So, so I mean, for, first of all, when you stop working, you have this void of time and and it's crazy but it's like you ask yourself the question what the hell do i do but it's an amazing question to ask yourself because you don't want to ask this question when you're 65. you want to ask this question when you're in your 30s um, because because that's the time to deal with it otherwise when you get to 65 you're going to be unhappy rich as fuck and and you still don't know what to do with your time and and that with an old late. body with an old body so so 100 this um then then you need to get help. These are not easy questions and they're not questions you can solve on your own. Like it, it's insane, but like I see a therapist, I have a coach, um, I have uh, friends around me, obviously like you, Darius, um, that I talk about these things with. And these are not questions you can solve on your own. Um, the, the, but you need to shock your body. You need to shock yourself. You need to force yourself to, to, to stay out of work and see what happens. And it's like, it's like being addicted to something like being a workaholic. When you step out of it, you want to get back to it. You got to say no, 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 no. And see what you replace it with. Um, so, so it's, it's really good time to start reading, uh, many books, many books have helped me, uh, wired for wealth, the big leap. Um, these two books have been really instrumental to my to my change. Um, it's it's really about um, um, yeah, like reading um, and, and then finding finding these kind of things that you have always wanted to do but let go. So right now it's really weird, right? But it's like how do I occupy my time? And and sports every day, like taking care of myself, really being active, um, but also some random weird stuff. Like I'm learning how to sing. I've always sang, but I've always sang really, really bad. So I'm learning how to sing nowadays and it's work and it's not something you can buy ever. It's work, but I want to do it because you know what? It's something that I find interesting. It's something that I find challenging. It's something that I find fun and makes me happy. So be it. Um, but, but find these little things, these little hobbies in life that you like and, and pursue them. Uh, it could be different for everyone. Is it, would it be painting? Uh, becoming a pro at a sport, but you need to understand what what comes down to what makes you happy. Is it cooking? Is it eating out? Is it seeing friends? Is it is it making? Is it singing? But everyone has a different answer, and but it, you need to get to the question to find out the answer. Yeah, and and it, I think that's a really good point that you pointed out that it's it, it's sort of an addiction. Like once you get into that lifestyle, that it's it's really hard to to stick out. And I, I've been in this weird phase myself for the last couple of weeks where I just feel this tension and anxiety and, and stress sort of piling on. But the weird thing is that I decide how much work I do. I decide where I work, how much, how many hours, but I keep piling on more. I, I keep like, I mean, of course, 
you know, most of my time goes to Reflectly, but there's all these like sort of exciting, shiny objects and all these things coming up. And I keep getting more and more and more. And without even knowing, I'm suddenly, you know, just way overworking. And even when I'm not working, I'm thinking about work. Um, and I know you would certainly have a lot of shiny objects around you. So how do you say no right now? Yeah, it, it's really difficult. And, and to be honest, it's all about practice. Um, it's just about saying no one time and saying no second time and so on. So, you know, I said I was going to stop working as of August and I did. And then, and then this guy came up to me and he said, Hey, I want to make a course with you about, uh, AWS and I have this content already ready and it's good to go and we can go and do it and, and we can rebrand it. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was on the call with him like, yeah, 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 yeah. We're on, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Here's the contract. And then right the second I hung up, I felt so bad. I said, wait, what have I just done? <laughs> like I just betrayed my one thing, which was not to start any new course because it wouldn't make me any happier. And, and it took me a week to mail back this guy and say, hey, you know what? I'm so fucking sorry. Like I promised you everything, but it's not the right place for me. And I have to say no. And obviously he was sad, but he was understanding because I shared my personal reasons for this. You, you want to be personal in life with people. You want to open up your heart. People understand people's behavior. So be a, be a person, be a human. And he said, okay, um, it's, it's very tricky. Again, I've been working on my other startup. I got another startup, there's side, side projects. But again, day, 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 and it was fine. But then does it make me happy? No, okay, I got to give it to someone. And someone now is taking care of it and I'm in transition space. But it's, it's really about consciousness of what you want to do and evaluating your actions against it. And does it align to my, your actions are, 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 are instantaneous. You know, you're just doing, doing, and you get excited. But then it's, can you analyze your action and say, okay, this was in line or this wasn't in line with my, with my intended behavior. And, and especially with the working phase, you want to be able to do it. And it took me months to get there really, really months. Uh, but now I am there and I'm really happy about it. And I have a frame, not a framework, but like I have, you know, a, a reflex and, and I used to be a workaholic, like a big one. And now I'm, I'm, I'm fine. And now I choose when I work and I choose why I work and why it matters to me. And this is a very, very different phase, which is I'm the decider of why I want to do things versus the world decides why I should do things. Right making decisions instead of just reacting to exactly that we're sort of exactly but it comes through practice with. everything comes through practice yeah <laughs> okay i have a, a somewhat odd question if you couldn't record if you wanted to make course on udemy right now but not about kafka and aws engineering <laughs> what would you make a course about right now if it couldn't be about your usual courses and you don't have your personal brand. You're Damn. Just starting anonymous. Damn, like any course I wanted to. Any course, anything. Fuck. All right, all right, that's a difficult one. Um, I have a couple of things. Um, but number one would be the joy of eating. The joy of eating. The joy of eating. <laughs> the joy of eating. I think I'm baffled. Like eating is, is obviously a functional thing in our human body, right? Like you eat, you poop, boom, done. And you get like the nutrients out of it and you survive. So, so at the core of it, it's really basic, but then your body somehow has a, a component of pleasure added to eating. And I'm huge into cultivating that, that pleasure. 
and and I get so disappointed about people who <laughs> who who just let go of that pleasure, including you, Darius. Um, and and I think there's true joy in eating. There's true joy in, in senses, and, and and it's an amazing thing. Your tongue and your smell are amazing, and so, damn, like I have so much out of eating, and and I really I don't know how to make a course about it because it's just like <laughs> it's in it, right? But the joy of eating and what it brings to your life and, and, and so on. It's really weird. It's, it's, it's an ephemeral thing to be eating. Um, yet, yet, yet you don't remember it. Yet it's so pleasurable. And that would be the first course. The second course would be about yoga. Uh, so I started yoga maybe five years ago. Uh, I wanted to um, <laughs> see hot bodies and I was served. But then I was like, oh, the practice is actually quite <laughs> nice too. And, and I said, okay, let's, let's do it. And, and, and it's one of my biggest uh, realization. It's like your body is all you have. Your body and your mind is all you have. Uh, doesn't matter the money. doesn't matter. Your body and your, your mind. And you need to work out your body. You need to stretch your body. You need to make sure that you're going ahead with all these things and taking care of that first for you to have a long, happy and healthy life. And in yoga, I used to be so unflexible, so like many back problems, all that stuff. And by starting yoga, I was really, I'm, I'm fit, I'm stretched, I'm flexible. I don't have back problems anymore. It's crazy, right? By just stretching maybe once a week or maybe three times a week, it doesn't matter. But the idea is I want to take this all my life with me because it's, it's the way to live a long, healthy and healthy life. And I think everyone should get into this. Uh, I think yoga is is misconceived. I think it's mistaught in some ways. Like it looks like this fe this feminist uh, alternative stuff, but really it's just about how do you make sure your body is well taken care of. If you have a car, if you have an expensive car, you're not gonna let it sit out in the rain. You're gonna you're gonna clean it. You're gonna make sure it's well taken care of. And whatever is your thing, if you have a guitar and you're a really big guitarist you're going to make sure guitar is taken care of. But everyone has one thing in common is their body and you have to take care of your body if your goal is to make sure your body is functional for many, many years. And this is something else I would teach. So a practical kind of yoga that is not spiritual, that is not, but just about, hey, take care of yourself because it matters. So cooking and yoga. So what? Cooking? Cooking and yoga. Cooking and yoga. Remember. Cooking and yoga. And yeah, like, well, all the, all the joy of eating, that is something we're on the exact opposite ends of because i'm happy with just defrosting vegetables <laughs> oh, for God dinner and i'm good to go <laughs> and i don't the thing is like and I, you recommended some amazing restaurants for me here or like sort of chefs and i just can't enjoy the food at the same level as you do i just don't i, I feel like i don't have the, the the receptors to to you know taking all that joy from food from other places yeah for other things but it's not the food so but it's it's practice it comes out of practice <laughs> and again it's just it's just a pleasure I mean, in life it's just it's just a pleasure in life it's I mean, just it's not it's not here is the ground truth everyone should yeah, enjoy food yeah, of course it's just one pleasure of life and yeah. people enjoy racing cars you enjoy racing cars in a in a racetrack you know i don't and you'd be like yo you're missing on the big pleasure of life <laughs> but still it's a <laughs> pleasure of life yeah. that i would like to teach about yeah of course you know i i, I in no way ever do i think have the have the ultimate truth and never will ever claim to have it but it's more about I want to educate someone that this can also exist. Yeah, yeah. That's the only thing. And let's be honest. You've had some good food with me. I took you to some <laughs> really nice restaurants and good times. Yes. And the wine right now, no matter what you said, you're pounding it. <laughs> the wine is really good. I can't complain. 
Yeah. So, and, and then you mentioned yoga. So we, we shared the same boxing coach, uh, Pierre as a recommendation of yours. Actually, I started boxing with him recently and we play paddle together, which is a, a smaller version of tennis for those who don't know paddle. Um, so you're very active right now. Have you always been athletic from the beginning or how did you get, was it yoga that you got started with mm. on this journey? It's mm. a good question. I was forced into sports by my parents as Parents should force their kids into <laughs> sports. No, how, they, they how are should. you forced into sports? No, as in you're, you're encouraged to do sports, right? Okay. It doesn't come out of you when you're a kid. You're just told whatever you want to do. And I did a lot of the racket sports. I did tennis, uh, ping pong, all this kind of stuff, badminton. Um, obviously, you make your own decisions. Um, I was a really, really tiny guy and skinny guy when I was young. Uh, now I'm 184, 185 uh, in, and quite built up. Uh, without really lifting, but just like body. And so the day I got into huge me was when I moved to the US and everyone was into fitness and everyone was into sports. And I was really this skinny dude. And I did like a, a military boot camp. I did a military boot camp and I got so much bigger and so much stronger. And I was like, oh, yeah, cool. Girls like it. Uh, I love it. Um, and, and then. I think I was really unhealthy in New York for good reasons, but really, unhe <laughs> really, really unhealthy and having a personal right. trainer and stuff. But when I moved to Australia, that's where I was like more health conscious and more into yoga. Now it's really not about the sports I'm doing, but it's really about the balance and, and the activity that comes out of it. So yes, since then I've always been into sports and when I don't do sports anymore, I feel tired and stuff. Um, now it's just a balance of finding right sports. I used to do yoga three, four times a week, which made me a larva, like really, really chill, really, really like <laughs> flexible and stuff, but not really active, not really pumped up. So now I do a good mix of cardio, strength, and relaxation, which I think I've, I've reached. Uh, and, and it will always change. Like again, things will change in one year, two years. Um, but the thing is, yeah, like now sports is a key part of my life. I dedicate it an hour a day, at least during weekdays. And, and so be it. So be it. That's a constant. It's not even a question because I think that in the long term, it will pay off tremendously. And it allows me to have really unhealthy behaviors aside from this. <laughs> so can you describe your routine right now? Because you sort of I, yeah. we, we had breakfast the other day and, and mm. you talked about setting up a new routine and yeah. you were very happy with it. So what does your yeah. routine look like right now? So people have to realize where I come from and where I've been to and stuff like this. Like, we I'm, can also talk about what was your routine when you were making courses because yeah, 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 it was yeah, very, yeah. very different. Do you want to start so, with that? So I'm someone who is, a who is able to pressure himself through lists and through schedules and through whatever. So if I do make a schedule for myself, I hold myself accountable for that schedule and so be it. If I do make a list for myself of things I have to do today, I will finish that list. Otherwise, I will feel bad. So I'm, I'm really self-hackable. So when I did make courses, it was like, do this, do that, do this, do that on, on schedules. Um, when I need to do this, something, you know, pick up a new habit. I remember brushing my teeth was a new habit I had to pick up way back then. I used to have a goddamn spreadsheet or like a, a piece of paper to like tick boxes did you brush your teeth in the morning <laughs> really yeah and, and if there was one cross missing i had like ocd i was like fucking hell like i one cross is missing you know you know what i brush my teeth every day day and night now it works it works on me at least yeah so i used to be someone really into making lists building habits um through check and it works and it really works for me and and that's fine um then the me of like, 
okay, not building, being freestyle. Like what, what happens when you're freestyle? You know, it happened like when I would start doing courses and it's like, whoa, I have so much time. What do I want to do as a whole? Okay. And it's really freestyle, like planning stuff left and right, being having a really deconstructed calendar and it works. You see your friends, but you, you have no structure and you don't feel like achieving much and you're at the mercy of your schedule again, but it's deconstructed schedule. So now I have a new framework, I call it, which I think works amazing for me again, because it's a for me schedule, right? Um, but it's, it's, it's well balanced and it's modularized. So the idea is every day at 11, Monday through Thursday, I have sports and that's a given. Uh, that's it. The thing is sports is not at eight or 9 a.m. Before, before sports, I could, I want to, me- I want to meditate and I intend to meditate. I intend to read. Now, if it doesn't happen because I had a really good night the night before, I don't feel bad. So if I have a night with friends and we're having good chats, good talks, good dinner, I can go until 2, 3 a.m. So be it. I won't feel bad because sports is later on, right? If I wake up early, sure, meditation, read, do all these things. But again, it's intention. So the only hard constraint is at 11 a.m. for the sports. Then lunchtime is for obviously social events. And the afternoon is intended for me to sing, to play guitar and work. Again, intention. If it doesn't happen, so be it. But this is when I would place my work meetings, usually not at 2 p.m. because that would interrupt my lunch. If I have a really good lunch, again, it would not be, it would not be good for me. So meetings are at 3 or 4 p.m. when people usually are also working and so on. And so, and the nighttime is for cooking at home or going out with friends or doing theater, all these things. But it's a framework that allows me to get some consistency, like every day sports at 11. So I feel like consistent about it. There's no thinking about when is my next sports class, but at the same time, it allows me to take liberties. And if I'm having a good time with you, then so be it. Let's have a good time. And I don't feel anxious about what's coming next, which was something that really was on my mind before, which was like, Hey, you have a next lunch a next coffee a next afternoon break a next whatever. And it would bring anxiety and I would not enjoy the moment present. So now I'm really, really happy about this schedule. I've been doing it for about two weeks and it's really effective and it's, it's killer. And you know, here we are. <laughs> Amazing. So what was your, did you have a routine beforehand? Like, you know, a year I, ago when you were going like hardcore on courses, whatever, two years ago. No, it's always been, I mean, I establish routines, but they're monthly or weekly or, or whatever. Like they're like, what am I trying to achieve right now? Course are, are very project yeah, based. Yeah, I'm a, exactly. Am I trying to build a course? Okay, nine to nine to five. Boom, um, get on. Um, uh, okay, what do I want to like? You know, I would plan a course, and for the next two months, what sections do I want to achieve every day? You know, how much do I plan? Again, targets, but you know, planning, planning, planning. But it would not be a routine daily because everything would be based on the project and how I felt and stuff. Yeah. But but they were all focused on work. They were all focused on achieving things and so on. And then I would have my nights and my, and that's it. And maybe my lunches. Okay. Now it's really much a balance into work and life and making sure I develop myself and have a happy life and also make sure that I work when needed and for needed. And obviously when I go into recording and refreshing some of my courses, I'm going to have to adapt my schedule, but I will make sure I keep the same core values in it. Right. Makes sense. And, this is a uh, not very smooth bridge to any other topic, but you seem like a very 
confident guy, whether it's, you know, making courses or whether we were playing paddle or, or boxing or whatever else it might be, where you were like this from the beginning? Yeah, um, it's very personal, but I've had a really rough social childhood because um, I was I'm much smarter than anyone else. Uh, I was skipped one or even two grades in school. So I was much younger, much smarter and achieving amazing grades without lifting a finger. You know, it's just something that was in me. Uh, and, and obviously it was, uh, people were angry at me for this, especially young kids, because kids, kids are kids. And this was very difficult, but somehow, it, it, and it's always deep inside me, it, it just came out of myself. No one told me anything about it, but somehow I believed that I could do anything. Somehow I believed I could be as strong as I wanted. Somehow I believed I could be, um, yeah, achieve, yeah, achieve whatever I wanted. And so, um, even though I had so many failures, you know, like I didn't kiss a girl until I was 16 year old. I didn't do X, Y, Z until then. I had good friends until I was 13. Um, even though that happened, I was strongly confident into my capacity to do so. And it's proven me right. And so now I get this insane confidence into anything I do. I'm confident I can learn Portuguese. I'm, I'm confident I can learn Mandarin within six months if I move to China and be fully fluent. You know, I'm confident about me learning how to sing, which is crazy. Like I'm giving myself a year. Um, I'm confident I can learn how to sing properly. And in two months, I've done tremendous progress, random stuff. But to me, the confidence is just the motivating factor behind change and growth. Um, but to have it and to believe in yourself, it's, it's reinforced by experience. It's reinforced by by life and when these things do happen then they 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 validate me and i keep on going and going and going and even if i had a failure i would still be confident somehow you know it, it's crazy but um to anyone who's like non-confident for anyone who's having doubts um failures are okay the most important thing is doing and trying and and get on with it and and being okay with the uncomfortable because as, as the more you do uncomfortable, the more you be confident, the more you're confident, the more you're successful. But success comes at the end. But you got to try, you got to do. If you're, if you're a thinker, you're never going to get anywhere. If you're a doer, the well is your oyster. Yeah, I think a lot of people sort of have the mentality of, like, first show me the results, and then I'm willing to put in the hard work. Like, nobody's willing to, you know, just sort of put their head down and work for half a year without seeing the results, and then, you know, seeing the result. I think that's... A lot of times when I talk to, you know, my old friends from back to Slovakia or whatever, um, other people that, or people that are not, you know, within our sort of friends group, they, they want to get advice, but they want to see the results before they put in the work, which I think is, uh, yeah. is, is the main challenge. Yeah. Putting in the work is, is key. But again, think milestones. Don't, don't set yourself a two-year goal. That's insane. It's insane. You know, like set yourself, you want to launch an app, launch the first version in one month. You want to launch a business idea, do it by hand. Stop thinking about technology. Just sell what you have to sell, you know, like do it manual. But like, if you don't have these small milestones, and that's, I think that's the key of what I'm doing. It's really the, the secret sauce of what I'm doing. If you don't have these small milestones, you're not going to get anywhere. So if you have these small milestones, then everything feels like an achievement. Every single little thing. And so, yeah, when I, when I start something, it's up, it's there. Within a few months, 
it's it's on the ground and it's tested. And some courses, going back to the courses, some courses I've built, they were crap. You know what? They were out there. I got feedback and I rebuilt them from scratch and they were so much better. But you got to achieve something short term for you to build confidence and for you to build trust and for you to keep on going even faster. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I think a lot of people could, could think of, you know, sort of a course, course, course creator as a, as, a, as a sort of one, like one offshore where you can only create courses. But I've noticed that, I mean, you are very entrepreneurial. You Other than the courses, you're also another company on the side right now, which was kind of a side gig for you, but it became you know, pretty successful. Um, how did you get started in the whole sort of entrepreneurship? Yeah, so it's it's really funny. But again, like permission free. Like I, I've been an entrepreneur since I'm 12. Um, and, and you know, it, it's, it's a bit crazy. So there is, uh, this, this, I used to be a huge gamer, like obviously not many friends at school. I used to like play games and make friends there. So I used to play Warcraft three, which was a strategy game, not world of Warcraft, which is like a solo player binge playing game. And don't, don't feel bad if I just say that, um, <laughs> cause I know many people played it, but Warcraft three was a, about, a a multiplayer game strategy, which is you always start with the same army, you always start with the same resources, and you have to beat your opponents by building better, by being more strategic, and so on. And I was really into it because it was a fair game, you know, and the skills you were developing were counting, not the amount of time you were putting in was counting. So I was playing this game, and there used to be a, a system of clans and a system of, of, of tournaments and so on. And I said, you know what? I want to build a, a, a tournament website where people can have games and people can like be competitive and, and maybe fight for a prize, you know? And I was 12 year old, which was 17 years ago. And, and I built my first website, you know, thanks to some plugins and whatever, which was, hey, here's a tournament game. And I organized a few 128 people, 164 people, players, games, and, and tournaments going all the way through having like some prizes, like hundred bucks as a prize or whatever. People were playing, people were, were actually acting and had like administrator on my websites and so on. And, and obviously wow. it died down because I was not having that business acumen when I was then, but I was really passionate. And, and thinking about it, I was 17 years ago into esports. When you think about it, esports now is such a big industry, but I was missing the business acumen to it. But yet I started this website. I was on my own. I didn't ask anyone's permissions. I just did it. It was really not well run. It was having no business model. I made a hundred bucks from Google AdWords on it. But that was my first entrepreneurship, you know, wait, wait, you experience. Put, you, you put in Google AdWords as a 13-year-old kid. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's what I would call a business acumen. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, just made a hundred bucks. I was like, I okay, mean, cool. I made a hundred bucks. My friends were like, cool, good job. I think you think at, made hundred bucks. 13-year-olds, I wasn't even yet thinking about the girls. That was my next, you know, when I was a teenager. And after that, I would start thinking about a business acumen. Yeah, but I wasn't having that. I I wasn't having this big picture out of it. Like I was, I was onto something. Yeah. But I was missing. I I think the the exposure to other entrepreneurship and to big ideas. The fact that, like, as a preteen, that you could build this yourself, get people in it, put in business. Google has. To me, that's mind blowing. Because at thirteen, I was, you know, trying to play Harry Potter. Yeah. Games. It was. Yeah. It was. It was fun. (laughs) It was crazy. It was. It was a wild experience. You know, it was a year long project to make hundred bucks. Fuck it, I was so happy I was young, right? That's incredible. Um, and, and, and that was my first entrepreneurial experience. And then um, time moved on. I mean, I had my own like um, personal course, like helping people with math and so on, but that was not entrepreneurial. Um, but then I was in New York. I was working my job. 
and my second company came through and it was called Foodis. It was a, a, an app I just built myself. I had to learn how to code an app. So I just learned how to code an app and just did it again. Not, not asking for anyone's permission, just do it. You know, like I built myself an app and uh, it was an app where you could write food items within the menu of a restaurant instead of the restaurant itself because I thought restaurant writings were futile. Knowing what was good inside of the menu was much better information uh, than the restaurant itself. Um, it didn't work because my target was everyone. It was in New York, so many menu items to, and no business model around it. But I learned again a few things, but I built it. It was there out there for a year for Android and for iOS and so on. Then I moved into B2B and I was like, okay, one of my business clients, consulting client is having issues with their data. They can't know what the data means. They don't know what the data catalog is. And I built a data catalog solution. Um, I tried to sell it to them. They were not uh, keen because big company versus one man. And it failed again, but again, I built it. And, and all I'm saying is that behind all of these entrepreneurial experiences, I learned something, but I didn't ask for anyone's permission to do those. I didn't ask for success. I just did it and whatever happened, happened. And that's the main key. If you think too much, you're not going to get anywhere. If you do, you will encounter failure, but you will learn from it so much, so much, so much. So the day you have something successful, you will notice it and you'll be all the way through with it. And I think that's the main, the main thing with me is that I would never ask for anyone's permissions. I always thought I was alone and, you know, never really asked for guidance. I just made it. Uh, I read uh, Tim Ferriss's four hour work week uh, book recently. And I was like, yeah, I already all done, done all that, you know, <laughs> like, like, you know, of course, obviously a few things I learned. Right. Yeah. But I was like, yeah. Like, you know, I didn't read that book first and say, I have to apply all these things. I just lived through them. And the only reason why I came to these things, not because I am Tim Ferriss or whatever, it's because I just did it. And Tim Ferriss did it. And whoever did it. And then came up with conclusions. So bottom line is, stop reading the books. Stop, <laughs> stop asking for advice. Do it. And then ask for advice. This is how you grow. Well, I think this is a perfect time to 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 cut this off and 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 call it the end of round one okay it's really good advice you dropped thank you so much uh, before this episode goes out um well it will go out before your birthday so yeah. to, to before your birthday party so do you have any birthday wishes for the Fuck. for the audience out there uh my birthday wish is to keep on growing personally because it's something i've haven't worked for so long like only in the past six months i've done on my personal development and have had tremendous change. So I really hope I can keep on working on my personal development uh, and to remain the same self I am and even happier and even more extroverted and so on. Nice. That's amazing. And well, we share the same performance coach, David. Yeah. He's our sort of uh, life coach in a way, but you know, focused on performance and, but also, also meaning, have you not done any sort of self-development before that? Like sort of this No, not really, category? not really. I really didn't care about myself for so long. <laughs> no, but it's crazy. Like you need to, you need, it's a, one of these realizations when you come to a stage and you're like, what have I done with myself? You know, like you, end of the day, you realize the, the only thing that matters in your universe is yourself. And it's selfish to think about it, but you're the only constant about yourself. You have your brain, you have your body and you interpret everything that goes around you. And that's it. So doing personal development shouldn't be, an optional thing. It should be mandatory and you grow so much from it and you learn how to control your body, your emotions, how to be happier, how to be more in line with what you want in life. 
And, and you know, it's thing that I realized only less than six months ago, but I'm grateful for it. And I hope to continue this for a long time. Amazing. Well, dude, listen, I know that you don't do a lot of these public podcasts, talk kind of things. So I really appreciate you taking the time. And yeah, anytime, this. man. I'm happy to do so with you. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. And, uh, the wine was really good. Thank you. Thanks, man. <laughs> Cheers. Sure. I'll talk to you later. Bye.